in the case of who ran over Stone Cold Steve Austin at Survivor Series, Mick Foley finds The Rock not guilty. What? What? It was Foley! I told you! <laughs> it did it! You didn't do it. Who did? And I'm going to tell you who did. He did. Rikishi? What? I'm shocked. I, I, what? I did it. What? Damn it. Look at the rock. No, I... In case you didn't hear, I admit, I did it. I ran over Austin. Good thing the criminal charges were dropped. And you ask why? Damn right. I didn't do it for me. No, I didn't do it for me. I did it for The Rock. What? Huh. Did it for The Rock? Hello, my name is Chris White and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast where we're going back in the time machine to October of the year 2000 to bring you all your WWF coverage, including a full review of the No Mercy pay-per-view. Joining me this month, we have Devinder Vargas. Great having you back on again. How are we doing, D? We're doing good, thankfully. Everything's all good. I hope everybody's uh, out there doing good and staying safe. And rounding off the month, we have Adam Joyce. Adam, great having you back on. Yeah, um, it's good to be back. Um, it's been been over a year since I've done a WWF show, not counting the house show we did. So it uh, it made a sh- it made a difference to to watch TV that was you know actually halfway decent for one of these. But yeah, I'm I'm keep keeping together just about in in uh, all the current circumstances. Luckily, going back in the time machine to the year two thousand is a hell of a lot more pleasant than. Uh, much of the situation we find ourselves in now um so we can just switch off from all that for a couple of hours kick back and look forward to some good and bad wrestling and uh before we get to all of that we've got some news to get into and two of the biggest newsworthy stories from the wwf side of things this month mainly going to speak about during our pay-per-view review and also through the TV. So we had a new WWF champion crowned at No Mercy, and we had the reveal of the driver who ran down Stone Cold Steve Austin at Survivor Series last year. So since that Survivor Series show in 99, plenty of rumour and speculation as to who was driving that car that took Austin out of action. Backstage reports throughout this year would have us believe it was Billy Gunn at one stage, Big Show was earmarked for the spot, or even Vince McMahon himself. But the reveal came to pass on the ninth of the month as Rikishi admitted to being the driver. 
claiming to have done it for The Rock. As I say, we'll get into this questionable, uh, I should say lightly, booking decision um, <coughs> later in the show. But we do have a new WWF champion this month as well. Uh, and it also has a connection to Survivor Series 99, as Kurt Angle made his pay-per-view debut at that show. And he has now captured his first world title in the Fed in the main event at No Mercy. And we'll be breaking that down for you later in the show. He won that belt from The Rock, who's reportedly inked a $5.5 million deal with Universal to play the lead and title role in an upcoming Scorpion King movie. Uh, The Rock is expected to be working on the movie for approximately six months, and it's believed he may have to take a sabbatical during this time from the WWF. Seems impossible that given the popularity of the WWF and the publicity surrounding wrestling and both the movie, they can't really do like an old school Stone Cold Steve Austin. (laughs) Well, an old school wrestling angle and write him off in a major injury or something like that. Um, And and maybe someone running the rock over and hopefully having a slightly better reveal than the Rikishi one. Uh, So remains to be seen what happens when the rock may have to step away from the WWF for half a year, but um, it's not immediate as the current plan is for filming to begin after WrestleMania in the year 2001. And finally, some sad news this month as uh, former two-time WWF champion Yokozuna tragically passed away in a Liverpool hotel room in England. Reports say that he actually had a lengthy phone call with his first cousin Rikishi uh, the day before telling him how proud he was because uh, Rikishi, of course, was going to be in one of the main events of the No Mercy pay-per-views. Uh, which would be the first time he'd been in that spot in the WWF. With a further word on Yokozuna, I'm going to play in here uh, some words from our very own Eric Landstrom. Hi, everybody. This is Eric, and I just wanted to weigh in with my thoughts on the passing of uh, Rodney Anawai, most famously known as Yokozuna, who passed away earlier uh, this month uh, of October 2000 uh, in... uh, London, England, um, and the cause of death is a little bit strange, uh, but we all know he was uh, of poor health and massively overweight, um, only 34 years old, and just an incredibly tragic uh, figure uh, in professional wrestling. I want to go back here to uh, the winter uh, of 1995, uh, specifically January, February, and I was really getting into um, the WWF. And um, I was super drawn to Bret Hart, Owen Hart, and Yokozuna. And uh, when WrestleMania 11 happened, and regular listeners of this program will know my affinity for WrestleMania 11, and really it has everything to do with the tag team of Owen Hart and Yokozuna. Um, I was a little bit late to the game. Uh, I have since gone back and reconstructed my history of wrestling, and I think where I've come down is that my three favorite wrestlers of all time are Owen Hart, Bret Hart, and Yokozuna. And as we've seen in the last year and a half, Yokozuna and Owen Hart have both passed away in uh, in their own uniquely tragic ways. And we've seen the early retirement of Bret Hart. Yokozuna, to me, represents um kind of the best parts of professional wrestling he's this mammoth larger than life figure incredibly athletic even when he was at his heaviest 700 pounds this guy was still um 
able to move and able to carry, you know, a decent match. And we saw that at times. And when he was smaller, when he was Coquina Maximus and, and he was three, four hundred pounds, I mean, this guy moved like a gazelle. And if you look at his early days in the Fed, 92, 93, even into 94, when he started to hit that tipping point with his size, in, in my opinion, there's never been a better big man in the history of professional wrestling. I think it's Yoko and Vader. And to me, being the WWF champion twice, having uh, that victory over Hulk Hogan to end Hulkamania, being one of the few guys who Hulk never beat, I think we're going to look back in 15, 20, and 30 years and and, uh, appreciate Yokozuna more than we even might now. His run was remarkably short considering the impact that he had on me and the impact that he had on the WWF in the mid-90s. And I think he meets a tragic end at the age of 34. Looking at this larger, uh, this is a good reminder for all of us to take care of ourselves, to take care of our health, and, and, and just to make sure that we're doing everything we can to make sure we're on this planet as long as possible. Because you see your heroes die. And I'm not going to say that I looked up to Yokozuna, but I certainly respected him as a professional athlete and a professional wrestler. And he'll be dearly, dearly missed. I am so regretful for him that he was not able to control his demons because you know and I know that he would have had a golden ticket back to the WWF whenever he wanted it had he gotten his health under control. And you can't tell me that a heel Yokozuna versus Austin versus Rock versus Angle would not be something spectacular. He deserved a second run with his health under control. And unfortunately, as it happens so often in professional wrestling and in life, his demons won. And so I think we can all take this as an opportunity to appreciate the life and the contributions to our entertainment of Rodney and Hawaii and use this as a time to reflect on our own personal well-being and make sure that we're healthy and that we're of sound body, mind, and spirit. Because when it's over, it's over. Thanks, guys. Uh, Appreciate the opportunity here to uh, have some thoughts Uh, And to bid a fond farewell uh, to one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, Yokozuna. Rest easy, big man. So coming out of the news, uh, I expect we'll have a lot to say on Angle's title win and uh, Rikishi being revealed as the driver. But uh, Dio, come to you first. Anything to add on on the rest of the news, potentially Rock taking a break and also um, the tragic passing of Yokozuna at age 34? The Rock being out is is um it, it's good for him it, and and the guy's uh, really expanding his star power and taking advantage of all the opportunities that's been presented to him as a result of being a big star in the WWF. It's just going to be interesting to see what the WWF is going to do now with him away for six months. Six months is a lifetime in the storyline world. Um, as far as Yokozuna uh, goes, uh, just such a young age. 
and it's a damn shame. And, you know, the word legend and, you know, words like that get thrown around a lot, but I think we're going to always look back at him and just revere him as one of the best big men in the business with all the agility that he showed in his early years and um, just his rise to uh, championship, albeit, you know, so short a run on the first run, but uh, he definitely had a presence and the look of a champion to me. Adam, over to you for your thoughts on some of the news. Um, did you know that Rock is now set the world record for the highest paid first time leading man in an action film? They've obviously, Universal have obviously got high hopes for the crossover popularity of The Rock. And I mean, I, I can certainly see him having a massive appeal. It just depends on if, uh, if the film's any good. Um, as for Yoko, it's uh, he actually. So it was a tour over here. He, he he passed away. And I was actually talking to someone recently who was actually on that tour with him. He said he um, and he had some interesting, he had some funny stories. Which I don't think I, I fit to wear, but um, it's it's sad. It's sad thinking he passed away. Thirty four is, but that's that. I've just turned thirty four. It's actually it's quite harrowing to think you know how how much he achieved in, in that time compared to how little i've done with my life it's uh there's it's it's kind of sad it's because um essentially it was what his issue was he was addicted to eating so it's it's, it's not an addiction you, you really think of as is that life-threatening but that's that's what to, that's what killed off uh, Rodney there, and yeah, it's it's just it just shows that there is no no safe addiction, uh, especially not in Rodney's case, which was uh, junk food. Um, yeah, I I did enjoy some of, especially some of his early stuff that he did uh, when he came in in, in sort of ninety three, ninety four. Um, unfortunately, uh, much past that, he, he got too big to really really do anything which is yeah I, I'm, I'm just struggling it's just really sort of hitting me <laughs> the fact he's the same age as I am now um, and yeah just the way the way it's sort of all turned out for him um, yeah uh, I don't really have any, anything more to say to that right now the news onto our WWF TV coverage for the month and we have a match on the 2nd of October edition of Raw which sets up our two main rivalries heading into No Mercy but so we have Kurt Angle versus Triple H for the number one contendership to Rock's WWF title at stake earlier on the show for context Hunter had asked Stephanie to stay backstage as he had so much on the line with Angle and obviously Steph had been the target of Chris Benoit uh, the week prior but she insisted she'd be out there to support her as husband and be by his side. So during that main event, Earl Hebner is down and Benoit comes to ringside. 
he grabs Stephanie by the hair. Triple H goes out to save his wife. He uh, attacks Benoit, sends him into the steps. Angle goes, takes advantage of this distraction, throws Triple H into the ring, grabs a chair. Stephanie then hops up onto the apron and takes the chair away, saving her husband from Angle. Angle asks what she's doing. Triple H recovers, sets him up for the pedigree. So it looks like Triple H is going to win, but Chris Benoit pulls Stephanie off the apron. Triple H gets out of the pedigree, goes over to save Stephanie. Benoit cracks him with a chair. Triple H staggers back into the Olympic slam and Angle gets the pin. Kurt Angle, number one contender to the WWF title, setting up that main event and no mercy against The Rock. And he finally gets that pinfall win over Triple H that, in my opinion, he should have got last month at Unforgiven. So this obviously as well, heavily influenced by Chris Benoit. And uh, this continued to build the Triple H-Chris Benoit rivalry, which also led to a match at No Mercy. So D, by the time we get to No Mercy, we have Stephanie, interesting development over TV for a coming couple of weeks. Um, Stephanie McMahon-Helmsley now accompanies Kurt Angle to the ring on a permanent basis, uh, becoming his formal business associate. So what did we make of the build to... Rock and Kurt, and the new developments with Steph, and also Hunter and Benoit. I feel like maybe there was a different way to set up, and this would makes it. This is what makes it uh, confusing for me that Triple H was victorious at Unforgiven, and then Angle gets the title shot. It's not. It's a. It's a confusing build for me. He should have came in strong, and I mean, not not like he really needs establishment, but it would really help to get that win over Triple H, and then the win at the number one contenders uh, match. But, again, he didn't get the clean pinfall. He got it because of Benoit coming in. And um, I just feel like it uh, it muddies the waters a little bit for me because I know how good Angle is, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of his, but I just wish he can get a definitive win with no help on the outside. But um, this deal with Stephanie, uh, it's going to – be interesting to see what happens in the future between Angle and Triple H with Stephanie being Angle's manager. Adam, what have you made of the last couple of months, really? Um, the whole sort of Triple H, Kurt Angle storyline that we thought played out to its conclusion at Unforgiven, but seems to have just been deviated away from. And now Steph's with both of them, and they're not really... Although they faced each other here, they're not really the sort of target of Eva's greatest attentions at the moment. And Stephanie is now permanently with Angle. I mean, I, I didn't see it coming, but I kind of enjoyed their partnership over the month. Yeah, it's, it's it was certainly something different because we've got Triple H very much playing the face role at the minute, which is not something we've really seen much from him other than other than his time leading DX at the latter half of 98 um i personally i don't think he's top face material i do prefer him as the heel but it is just refreshing just for a little while at least just to have them change it up because it all because it gives him various new opponents that we probably wouldn't have seen otherwise i mean the benoit feud don't know if they're going to be turning him face anytime soon because he's he's really on a tear as just the nasty heel he is. Um, I I'm in the camp where I think yeah they possibly could have, possibly should have gone with the angle win, uh, unforgiven. But 
I have no issue with, you know, Angle beating him for the number one contendership. Although I don't think in like five, ten years, people are exactly going to be watching the match back featuring, you know, Angle winning the number one contendership against Triple H on a Monday Night Raw, as opposed to, you know, people will still be buying tapes of Unforgiven 2000 in a, in a few years, I reckon. So that's that's questionable whether but i mean they 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 are there is stock being put in angle i think uh the second roar of the month he sort of listed off the sort of role he's on so they're they are they are they are building him sort of the right way as sort of, i mean three months ago four months ago i don't think i would have bought him as a, as a number one contender and I, but i'm certainly in his path to the to the to challenging the rock, I'm certainly buying him as a viable contender. So it's, it's weird to think that you know last time I did a WWF show was July last year, and the only mention of Kurt Angle was oh yeah we saw the back of his head. So so far that this guy has come in the last year or so, really is. Yeah, his year has been really strange. Um, in a really great way for him and his career, but like we, you go back to the Rumble. I, I probably talk about this every month, but like he's squashed by Taz to open that Rumble pay per view in January. It happens a couple of times this year. Like he obviously has some good showings on pay per view, but like that clash in April, he's absolutely squashed by the Big Show doing his comedy showster character. Like so, we get to April and he's still being jobbed out on pay per view in two minutes, and then. Even a couple of months later, so he, he bounces back from that and wins the King of the Ring. But you get to fully loaded in July, and The Undertaker, okay, it's a bit longer. It's a seven-minute match, but it's a seven-minute squash, let's be clear. And, like, from July to now, they've not put a foot wrong with him. But throughout that first half of the year, it, it constantly felt like they were giving him a win, and then maybe something would be taken away from him. And those pay-per-views in between the three squash matches, he was often in the intercontinental title picture or having a good match with, say, Jericho and Benoit or something like that. But the storyline with, with Hunter and Steph leading through to where we are now, they've not really put a foot wrong with him at any stage. In the ring, he's backed it up. On the mic, he backs it up. He's got he's great at comedy when he needs to. He's proven he can do a serious promo. He's a very well-rounded character for someone who's been in the business 11 months, well, been on, on our televisions for 11 months, I should say. And it genuinely fills me with joy to see Kurt Angle in a number one contender role. And I can't think of someone who was as good as he is, as quick as he is, um, in a long time. Um, and I, th- I think he very much deserves the the, the spot to main event a pay-per-view in a singles contest and uh, the work with Stephanie this month as they flesh out the business associate relationship and she helps him get a pinfall over the rock on TV and stuff like that is, is it is good again. Um, I feel like the misstep they got towards the end of the, the sort of love triangle storyline. And now we're kind of pivoted away from that. It's kind of a parallel story because it's, it's got its roots in that, but um, it's, it's just as, good i think i really like steph and angle as a partnership and uh i kind of like feel like we're in the best of both worlds here because i wouldn't have wanted like steph to turn on hunter and hunter go like full baby face 
I don't I don't think that would work. I, I kind of agree with you, Adam. I don't really see him working in 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 that role. So Steph kind of like helping both men out and but the the two aren't directly locked in a feud together, I think is kind of the best thing for all three performers at this stage. So I think this is a really nice way on the first Raw of the month to sort of kick off and set up all your storylines for the month. And they played out really nicely through the TV. I thought this was a good solid month of WWF TV with one perhaps slightly glaring um, caveat to that, which we'll get into now. So after weeks of stunners and Foley investigating, we finally um, found out who was responsible for running down Stone Cold Steve Austin Last year at Survivor Series, with the reveal coming this month on the 10th of October edition of Monday Night Raw. So Foley came out at the close of the show after Rock and Rikishi were celebrating a tag victory over Angle and Kane. Foley said he wasn't here to make wild accusations and said he was finally going to deliver the person who ran down Stone Cold Steve Austin. He reminded us that all the evidence points towards The Rock. It was his rental car. It's got his fingerprints in it and his sunglasses inside. No one had as much to gain from Austin being gone as The Rock. He teased that he was going to announce The Rock as the perpetrator, but called him not guilty. Foley, Foley then turned and pointed directly at Rikishi. Foley said Scotty Too Hotty had tipped him off to the truth and he gave it away by saying that he'd been partying with Rikishi in Detroit that night Foley pointed out Rikishi wasn't even on the WWF roster at the time Rikishi then admitted it he said that he did it on his own but he did it for the rock he said that he did it because the WWF has always been about the great white hope such as Buddy Rogers Bruno Sammartino Bob Backlund Hulk Hogan who it should be noted got a really big pop surprisingly so, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Rikishi said the WWF has always held back the island boys, such as Peter Maivia, Jimmy Snooker, Uffa and Seeker. Rikishi made it clear that The Rock wasn't in on it, and Rikishi closed his confession by saying that he would do it again as the show went off the air. So the next few weeks, Rikishi went full heel. Uh, Definitely a change that I wouldn't have foreseen. Um... Commissioner Foley then booked Austin versus Rikishi at No Mercy in a no holds barred match. So, um, Adam, what do you make of this reveal? And Rikishi was the one who ran down Austin 11 months ago. And uh, this is the way we bring Austin back into the fold. This. You remember when you were, were at school and, you know, you used to have like big projects and you. Like be like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll do a bit, you know, each night, and eventually you just end up uh, doing most of it in one night, usually the night before it's supposed to be in, or in my case, the morning before. Um, this kind of has a has a feel of that. It's it's just so completely against what we've seen from Rikishi for the last for the last what year or so. He's been in. He's returned what December last year, and it's. This is just so far away from that. It's it's like it just feels we don't know we don't know what to do. So let's just pull one out of a hat. I I've no problem with Rikishi in the ring. I think he does what he does to the to the to the level he needs to do it to. But he's he doesn't come across as a main event star. On the other side to all this, though, 
there is there has been and at least I there has been rumors of possible you know racism behind the scenes at WWF and while these they've never really made it into like the mainstream there are I do know people who have sort of horror stories from working there and it just seems an interesting ploy to to play that into the story when Rikishi, when there is the argument that well yeah they're, they're still in the dark you know Rock is the closest thing to a black champion they've ever had and technically he's not really black some would say because he's part black part Samoan and you, and you look at the rest of the champions who they've we've got you know you listed them off you know Sam Marcino Hogan Austin they are all you know the you know the white the great white hope as Rikishi put it um, and you, you say it was surprising that Hogan got the big pop, but you watch a WCW event where Hogan's on it. The live crowd love Hogan. It's just, you know, anyone who watches on TV that was like, oh, yeah, it's, it's got a bit thin. Um, I'm kind of... Throughout the month, they sort of hinted that Rikishi wasn't alone in this, and hopefully whoever he's working with is going to be less... is going to be sort of less of a fart in church than than Rikishi turned out to be because I don't think he's going to... Well, I'll go further into this in, in the No Mercy review, but I don't think he's going to be the guy that is going to be able to carry a, a, a long-term feud with Austin just because I don't think I'm the only person in this boat. I don't think there are that many people who believe it's going to be... Yeah, who believe Rikishi is, is fit for that role. They've we know there's there's an accomplice from the SmackDown before No Mercy and the SmackDown before the Cage match. Um, hope so. Hopefully, when that's revealed, it'll be something. It'll be something that sort of you know pushes this forward a bit better. D, what do you make of this reveal? Rikishi heel turn, running down Stone Cold Steve Austin. This was a a terrible miscasting in my opinion uh this was worse than when george clooney was batman it was just (laughs) i didn't understand like i i it was a good promo um on paper but the whole explanation was it didn't make any sense if if you felt that you know People of your color have been held back. I I totally understand that. But how is that Stone Cold's fault? If that was the reason that you felt that way, or is that the reason that you tried to make it for you know easy for the Rock to win, then you would have attacked Triple H too to take out the champion, make it easy for him. Um, I don't. I and I don't really think the explanation was valid to some points. I mean, you talk about the Wild Samoans, one of the greatest tag teams in history. Talk about Jimmy Snooker. I have great memories of Jimmy Snooker. You and then The Rock. Like, does he really? Has he really been held back? Does he really need the help? This is The Rock, already one of the biggest stars in the wrestling business, possibly in history. And it, it was just strange because I, I see Rikishi and I just see face. I don't see any type of heel um, in his character. And um, you know, as Adam said, it's kind of hinted that he hasn't worked alone. 
so you know maybe there's a maybe maybe they're playing the long game, but I really don't think Rikishi should have been the one. It was just it was so anticlimactic. It, I thought it was going to be somebody, you know, that had to do with that title match or was in that circle. You know, you mentioned Billy Gunn or even Big Show because he definitely um, took advantage of that whole situation and became champion. Vince would have made perfect sense, but it kind of would have been like, you know, another higher power type of deal. But I, I, I didn't like it, and I'm not really buying it. I'm just trying to – I'm waiting to see who was the one behind it, who was the one who, you know, had him do it or paid him off. But I, I, I didn't like the reveal. I felt like it was just almost a year's worth of hard work and a good whodunit storyline, and it was more like, a, okay, uh, where do we go from here? I just think the logic behind the the Rikishi refers to like the the island boy is always being held down. That logic doesn't work when like last year we had the gimmick where Rock and Austin were feuding and. Austin was the champion that the company didn't want, so The Rock is literally the hand-picked corporate champion. You can't do this storyline <laughs> 12 months later. Like The Rock was a multiple-time world champion um, by this stage. He was, and not he wasn't just he wasn't just world champion. He was the hand-picked corporate champion. That was his character. So the whole thing was that the theory was Rock couldn't do it on his own, and the whole thing behind the corporate champion was that he didn't do it on his own you know Vince rung the bell at Survivor Series he vetoed the change at rock bottom um, the I quit match that was the tape so from that perspective it, it does work that it does but yeah I, I'm just saying with, with the corporate champion you cannot make the argument that yeah, the whole point of the corporate champion was he couldn't stand up on his own, so he would need someone to do this for him. But yeah, that that wasn't really what Rikishi was saying, though. To me, it felt like he was like the the WWF kind of like system. The WWF was always about the Great White Hope. Well, actually, the guy running the WWF picked The Rock to be his champion, like against Austin. I, I, it just it just didn't fly to me in the face of basically the last couple of years of storylines being Austin v McMahon when Austin's been around, um, boiling down to that. <sighs> I don't know. I w- it, this is, as you said, D, a complete miscasting. Like, it doesn't... I, d- I don't know what part of Rikishi in the ring or even on the mic when he's had it or anything about him where you see like main event hill um like beyond my issues with logic and and just like it being a poor choice for the who done it like is this really the way we're going to bring stone cold steve austin back onto wwf pay-per-view like in the ring like it just felt so flat um and i don't know i i think this is a when you say the word miscasting, that's that's the word I want to, you know, emphasize because, you know, I don't want it to seem like I'm dismissing Rikishi's skills. The guy's good in the ring, um, much like, you know, the late Yokozuna, just very agile, very athletic. 
he can be a main event guy, but the casting, he is, he's already been casted in this half comedy, half really fun loving guy that doesn't allow it to be a main event heel. And the, that's, that's where, that's where uh, my beef is. It's all about the casting. And just like you said, like this, after all of that, this is what you're going to do to bring Stone Cold back. Like Stone Cold's first match in close to a year. And this is the match. It should have been huge. And I, I just didn't agree with it. So moving on to our review of the No Mercy pay-per-view. Uh, Adam, would you kindly take us through the results? So the Dudley boys won their Invitational Tag Team table match featuring Taz and Raven, RTC, Lowdown, Too, too Cool, or Lowdown and, and Too Cool. I can, I can read my writing. The six-man tag match between Lisa and the Acolytes going up against TNA and Trish Stratus didn't happen because the Acolytes were attacked in the back and put out by TNA. In a steel cage match, Chris Jericho defeated X-Pac. Stephen Richards and Val Venus of RTC faced Billy Gunn and China. Uh, defeated Billy Gunn and China. A no-holds-bars match between Rikishi and Steve Austin. Steve Austin got arrested. In a European title match, William Regal successfully defended against Naked Midian. Los Conquistadores defeated the Hardy Boys for the WWF Tag Team Titles. Triple H defeated Chris Benoit. And for the WWF title, Kurt Angle defeated The Rock. D, what did you make of No Mercy? Uh, I, I thought, um, you know, we're going to go into each each match individually as we go on with this episode. But I thought I thought it was an okay one, except you know, it dragged for me at one point. And you know, like I said, we'll get into detail as we go on. But uh, it was a it was a fine pay per view. There was some good action, really good action. Um, it just dragged for me at some point. Um, but it was one that I would I would watch again, just skipping a few matches. Adam, what did you make of it? Um, usually when I do these reviews, uh, not always I don't always take notes right away. Sometimes I'll just stick a, stick the tape in, you know, and, and just sort of watch it till I get bored. And this one actually pretty much at the main event before I realized, oh, it's it's actually been a pretty good show it makes i guess that's what happens when you mostly watch wcw for for this uh, project but yeah um i think it, i think it's fair to say it's one of the better shows they've done this year and this year has been a fairly high watermark in fact if i remember last year no mercy was one of the better shows from last year as well um yeah i i, I quite enjoyed this show yeah there's there's some stuff on there that wasn't great but where it was sort of mixed in with with the rest of the show it was it didn't really sort of bring the show down it just added a, a nice bit of balance and the fact that you finished on what was arguably two sort of better part four star matches to round the show out it's, it's yeah i i'd quite happily watch this one again in fact i did so i could actually have my notes 
Yeah, I wonder if by the end of this, I might have changed my mind on this show because I, I've got in my notes that the last two matches were very, very good, but the undercard was flat and boring. Didn't enjoy it. Did not make good use of Austin's return. Definitely a lot of lows, but the last two matches may have saved it. So I wonder if when we go through here and we talk through it and I hear you guys' opinions, if maybe I've been a bit too harsh because yeah, I, I didn't think this was a great show really, um, but I look at it now and, and it probably was a bit better than I'm giving credit for. I, d I don't know. I have to see how I feel. Normally my opinion does change slightly by the end of a review, but I, I didn't I didn't love this. I thought there were a couple of real filler matches on the show um, that really stood out. I've probably written three or four times in my notes. Like, could have been on Raw, could have been on Raw. Like, at best. Um, and even, like, Austin, really. It's like, I, it, it didn't make sense for Austin to come back and have a match with a guy who ran him down and lock up. But, like, it wasn't really a match. It was just kind of an angle. Um, it kind of feels like we're still waiting for Austin to have that match back. Um, and uh, so I, I think I went into the show with like pretty high hopes um, and probably 80% of the way through felt like they hadn't been met. And then the last two matches really pulled out of the bag. So by the end of it, I was feeling pretty good. But we'll see how it all weighs up by the end of this review. So the show opens with a video package compiled of Austin swearing to get revenge on his assailant. He promises no mercy on Rikishi when the two face each other later tonight and it's interspersed with clips of him in the ring hitting stunners and rabid dogs barking at chain leg fences. As videos openings go, it was pretty compelling. But you wouldn't know there was a WWF championship being defended on the show. We open the match with the Dudley Boys Invitational Tag... Uh, Dudley Boys Invitational tables gauntlet tag team match excuse me too cool and low down kick things off brought out for a while uh jazz looks to super flex scotty for a table delo goes for a frog splash from the top scotty shoves tabs off the top for a table grandmaster sexy dodges the low down to send delo through the table and as a result low down are eliminated rather quickly taz and raven are the team in next, Grandmaster attempts a sunset powerbomb on Raven off the apron for a table on the outside, but his feet hit the table and break it. Scotty hits the worm on Raven and worms his way under a table to do so. However, Taz comes in. He hits a hot shot on Grandmaster Sexay, and then Raven and Taz double suplex Scotty through a table for the elimination. The Dudley boys are in next, and uh, this is sure to make Lacey happy, this little co combination of teams here. Uh, they beat on Raven and Taz. Eventually, leg drop by Devon off the top sends Taz through the table to get the elimination. Not too much time given to those two teams. Next in is the right to censor represented by Goodfather and Ball Buchanan here. Ball accidentally knocks down the ref. He's then powerborne through a table, but the referee's out. Goodfather comes in with a chair, hits Bubba, which causes him to fall on top of Ball. Goodfather pulls Ball out from the table and leaves Bubba lying there the referee awakens and he sees Bubba in the remnants of a table, rings the bell it looks like the right to censor have won but another referee comes in and they restart the match shortly after Dudley's hit the 3D on the good father through a table and the Dudleys win the Dudley Invitational who would have fought Adam what did you make of the opening match 
Wow. Um, I said this is one of the better shows. One of my favourite shows of the year so far has been the been the Royal Rumble, and it's certainly shows how much has changed between then and now. The fact as as a as an opening match, it ticks all the boxes you need. It was, you know, the the action moved along at a good pace. The crowd were into it. You know, they were they're invested in in the outcome. You know, there was enough stuff to pop them. It it started it started to show off well. However, the the table match at the Royal Rumble, it was it had a lot more stakes to it. There wasn't a number one as a contenders match. But just the, there was an element of danger to it that the fact that they're doing this match shuts such a short time later may, just shows how that they're not taking this table thing seriously anymore. Um, also, the fact that Taz is just thrown in the middle of it shows that you know they've given up on him completely. Which I mean, we all knew it was coming, and the fact that it just happened, you know within this matter of hours after the after the rumble should really really become of no surprise but it's, it's still sad to see the match itself like i said is was fine um but they've killed i think they've killed the table thing now which is a shame because the one at the rumble was you know you had to put every, you had to put both team members of the team through the table one after the other and this one it's just a case of yeah first one to go through fine and the fact it just showed just how little it, they the people actually cared about this when about halfway through Grand Marks is a sexy hit a, a sunset power bomb and put his feet through the table and the ref just kind of waved it off. I think, which is a shame because I think the table match could have just been a, would have been a, could have been a great gimmick match for so long and now it's just oh, um, well, a completely unrelated note. Really liking Lowdown at the minute. Um, yeah, they're not going to be ever going to be a top team, but I I do like D'Lo Brown. It's just nice to see they're doing something with him after doing very little with him off from when he lost the IC title last year. Um, also, a random note: they in one of the SmackDown matches, they actually showed Ty, uh, Tiger Ali Singh watching them from the crowd, um, which can only end badly for them. Um, I think he was actually in the crowd. I think he saw him, the camera pan over him in the crowd for this match, but <laughs> I didn't mention it. So um, hopefully it was. Hopefully this that's not going to weigh them down. Um, yeah, so they did the the dusty finish at the end, and the Dudley Boys won, and it's which was like I said, good just to pop the crowd, but. Yeah, that's it's what it was. It was a good opening match. Um, it's just a shame that they've sacrificed uh, the threat of the tables match to to really win the crowd over in this show. Dave, what do you make of the opener? I think I think Adam makes a good point about the dilution, maybe of of the tables match itself. But I really enjoyed uh, this match. Um, the crowd was hot, and it was a really easy way to set the tone for the night um, and get them into the event. You know, the first match is always as important as the main event. 
<clears throat> as far as crowd participation. So it was a cool way to showcase all the teams and get some quick spots in. Lowdown looks good. Um, both, you know, solid, solid workers. I always think D'Lo Brown is one of the underrated guys in the business. Um, you know, Chaz also, uh, you know, his best days were in the headbangers. But, you know, again, a solid worker. And um, I'm hoping for a good future with that team. Um, but um, I, I I really enjoyed uh, Taz and Raven coming out. And then the Dudley boys, which gave us a little ECW reunion. Seems like those guys had a lot of fun working with each other. The Grandmaster Sexy spot with the with the feet breaking the table kind of took the took the wind out of the match for a second. I did really enjoy it. I felt like the crowd had a lot of fun seeing all these teams. You know, even though it was convoluted all in one match, I feel like it was a a good pace for all of them to showcase their skills in good spots. Yeah, I thought this was a a good idea, probably not executed as well as it could have been. I think you could do a gauntlet tables match a lot better than this. That being said, a uh, hot crowd for a pay-per-view opener. Like, you get a few table spots in there that pop the crowd. It's not... I mean, it's pretty good. Um, a lot of punches and kicking and sort of the stalling brawling um, throughout, which I think is probably when you've got, like effectively like what five finishes to do in 11 minutes you're gonna get that because you're just gonna be like not gonna do many big spots before you go to the finish of each individual elimination um so i i do think that this was an all right opener i don't think i particularly enjoyed it as much as either of you two but um i've certainly seen worse um and it's a nice way to get the Dudleys on the show, have them win strong and uh, keep their love affair with the table <laughs> continuing. So next up, we've got a mixed tag match with APA and Lita versus uh, TNA and Trish. Uh, unfortunately, though, the match never gets underway. As TNA crush Bradshaw under some equipment backstage and lay out fruit. That leaves Lita all alone. Trish attacks her with support from TNA until hard, the Hardys run in and eventually make the save. Don't need to dwell on this for too long, as it's basically something you'd see on Raw. But D, what did you make of just this this non-match angle here? So I, I was I was actually uh, really excited to see APA. Uh, I'm a big fan of theirs, and um, I've I've always been a fan of the image of TNA. Not just because it's Trish, but I think those guys are talented. Um, I didn't understand what happened with the whole thing. I was looking forward to a good match. Um, Hardys came out, you know, to save Lita and the whole deal. But uh, Lita looks great. You know, everybody. I, I just didn't understand it. I I, I was kind of fast forwarded through through that one. Adam, um, yeah, a bit of a raw angle in the middle of a pay per view. Well, you can't. Well, you know, it's the second match on the card. It's got. You have a hot opener, which they did have a fairly hot opener, regardless of my thoughts on the, on the dilution of the tables. They, you've got to, you know, keep you've got to sort of cool the crowd off just a little. And and I think this did that. It's, it's created, you know, it's going to, it's created, it's given some heat to the TNA Acolytes feud that all but kind of crashed out to on Raw when they sort of, you know, when Bradshaw beat them clean, when Bradshaw beat, I think it was Albert cleanly. Uh, it's, 
given some legs to it. Uh, guessing the APA are going to be out a while as they weren't on any of the TVs following this. Do, do we know if they're injured or is it just a... That, was I haven't that in the heard news? anything. No, I haven't no. heard anything. Just looked like a just an angle. <laughs> I, I I think you could have done something with these guys and got. I think having Trish and Lita out there in front of the crowd would have probably been like the crowd would have been into that. Um, yeah, but still, it's it, it's given them somewhere to go from here. It's you know, it's it's building towards something. Um, I mean, obviously. Trish and Lita had had a match. I believe it was uh, either the next night or the or the week after on on Raw. So it was building to that, and guessing it's because they, they certainly seem to to like pairing off Trish and Lita. They they you know they keep pairing them off, and and the crowd are definitely into it because there is just something very appealing about the two of them going at it together. Can't deny that. Um. But yeah, I, I don't mind the fact that this one was missed off the card because it wasn't. It's not like it was particularly strongly built to. It was only announced. It was one of the two ma- matches announced uh, on on that edition of Sunday Night Heat. So it's not like uh, there was like a massive build going into this, you know. And so by taking by doing this, they can build to the next one better. And it gives more of a reason for it to be on the card. So before we get to our next match, Lillian interviews Edge and Christian backstage about their food poisoning, apparently calls them to be unable to take part in the Tables Invitational. Edge and Christian uh, got a funny promo talking about uh, (laughs) nuts for their uh, food poisoning, but just conclude that it was just a passing virus and they're all right now. So... Edge and Christian seems to be all well and good. Into our next match, we have Chris Jericho versus X-Pac in a steel cage. Jericho gets things underway with a baseball side to the floor to the start, and we brawl around the outside as X-Pac hadn't got in yet. X-Pac misses a chair shot, finally head inside the cage. X-Pac takes control in the early going. He tries to climb over the top, but Jericho hits a springboard drop kick to X-Pac's feet, causing him to be crotched on the top rope. Jericho makes a climb down. But uh, but X-Pac prevents it. He knocks down X-Pac before hitting a missile dropkick off the top. <clears throat> he looks to follow it up with the lion salt, but X-Pac gets the knees up. X-Pac hits the Bronco Buster, then goes to escape, but Jericho hits a powerbomb off the top rope to bring X-Pac down. X-Pac goes to escape through the door again. Jericho grabs him back and pulls him back in, but X-Pac grabs the chair he used earlier and hits Jericho over the head with it. He goes for the escape again. Jericho catches him and crotches him on top of the cage. Jericho climbs to the top also. Um, Small platform in the corner. Jericho tries to apply the walls, but X-Pac quickly kicks Jericho and sends him flipping off the top. X-Pac tries to climb down, standing on top of the cage door. Um, Jericho drop kicks the cage and X-Pac crotches himself on the door. Jericho walks through the open door and wins the match. Adam, what do you make of this cage match? I am definitely not a fan of the WWF thing where you have to escape the cage. Uh, I'm just going to, I think I've probably said this in, in other cage match analysis, but I'll say it again here just for, just to make, a, just to punctuate a point. Uh, the, the match 
other than the escape stuff between these two, I thought was, was really good. Um, you know, they there is kind of a feel of like an old school cage matchup between a lot of the stuff they were doing. Some they were really sort of laying in there. Some of the stuff they were doing, it's uh, the I like I like the to, the promo at the beginning where Jericho was like, "Yeah, this is going to be it," and I, from what I can make out, this it's pretty much done. Uh, the, I like I did quite like the finish though, where Jericho drop kicks uh, the door, so Xbox landed sort of crotch first on the top of the door and just was sort of stuck there. I thought. I thought that was good. The trouble is that was, I believe, the third time someone had been crotched in that whole match, and it's a case of oh, it would have been, it would have stood out a bit more had you not done that twice already. But that could just be me being niggly. Um, I also like the walls of Jericho on, on the top of the cage. The trouble is, you know, it's a cage where you can't make a guy. So it, it did kind of seem like they were just doing that just for the photo opportunity, as opposed to. Actually, having any re- any relevance to the match, especially as the next thing that happens is Xbox climbing down. But yeah, the, the match itself, like I said, it was fairly solid. Um, even if it even if it did feature the escape cage as opposed to the pinfall cage, it, these two guys work work quite well together. And um, but yeah, I think. Xbox is at the minute is just he's kind of stuck at a, at a certain level and uh, and I think we just need now that this is done we just need to get Jericho away from him back to back to the main event you know this was good to show some brutality from Jericho but it's done now and I'm looking for him just you know to step back up uh, to the to the top tier of the of the promotion again. Dave, what did you make of the cage match? Uh, I, I thought it was a, I thought it was a good match for uh, Jericho to have. Um, that bump just looked sick, though. When he fell from the top, it looked like he was, re- it looked like he was definitely not having to sell it at the end. When he looked like it really, really got hurt. Um, the walls of Jericho on the top of the cage was a was a fun part for me, even though it was a, it was kind of short, but um. I feel like uh, X Pac is at that level. He's kind of like a, kind of like a gatekeeper, not for the main event, but just for the next level. He's a guy that can have a good match with anybody, and um, it, I, I liked I liked the match. I like it was I, I liked the brutality and and the what Jericho showed in this match. But uh, I'm ready for Jericho to move on and and work with other people. But I did enjoy the match. Um, it was good, and um, that that finish for me was pretty creative. I just agree with Adam that I don't like the whole escaping the cage part. It just it it, it makes it look like you're running away from the fight instead of just getting the pinfall or the submission in the cage. Besides all that, I did enjoy the match. Yeah, I I, I um I I think I'm a bigger fan of the escape the cage step than most but i i just don't feel like this rivalry really needed really warranted a pay-per-view cage match but that being said i i, I think they worked in a few 
creative spots as you both mentioned like the the bump from jericho really good the finish was really creative walls of jericho on top of the cage really creative but i think for all that and the fact that it's a cage match on pay-per-view it it felt slightly flatter than maybe it should have done when you put all those ingredients into one match um i don't know if it's because x-pac felt a little bit sort of uninterested to me um but ultimately i thought this is a well worked match um well built uh some cool spots in there and definitely a positive on the card next up we have billy gunn and china teaming to take on val venus and stephen richards of right to censor so billy and china work over val rich and Richards early in the early going before the heels get control. They isolate Billy and work over his arm. China gets the hot tag. She hits an elbow on Val. She low blows uh, Richards and Billy hits him with a fame answer. They work the lead all man Val, but Goodfather and Ball come to ringside and Billy goes out to stop them. The ref is trying to deal with the interference. Eddie Guerrero runs in, hits China with some loaded roses and Val gets the cover and the win. D, what did you make of this tag match? It was one that I'll probably steal from one of your notes that it probably would have been good on Raw. It was it was a fine match. Billy Gunn, I, I'm a huge fan of Billy Gunn. I, I you know, the guy's a physical specimen, and he's one of the most athletic guys uh, in the business. He's got a great look, and I know he's playing like second fiddle to China here, and you know nothing against China. I know her beef is with the right to censor, who are great heels. I, I talked about it the last time I was on this show that they're great heels. They know how to get heat. Val Venus is an awesome, awesome worker. They, they were all good workers. I just feel like, uh, yeah, I just felt like this could have been on Raw. And I'm sorry to steal from your notes, but that's what I felt about this match. Um, great characters, great workers, but. It was a forgettable one for me. Adam, over to you. Uh, obviously, this wasn't the match that was supposed to happen. It was supposed to be Billy Gunn challenging for the IC title, but there was an injury to Eddie Guerrero, which I think is like the second time in, what, like 18 months that Billy Gunn's been kind of edged out of the IC title because he was supposed to be challenging for the IC title at at WrestleMania, but they switched it to Road Dog and gave him the hard book. But that's just—I um, mean, the match itself was was fine. Um, like I said, it was—it was not supposed to be here. So it's—it just so happened that you know these two have sort of, these two sides have sort of kept bumping into each other. And the TV's leading up to this, so this was just like the logical placeholder. I'm wondering if. If they're going to keep sort of going with Billy and China against the RTC now, or or at, or at some point if they are going to go back to the plans of Eddie versus Billy for the IC IC belt, uh, it was weird seeing Billy being uh, the guy who had all the heat put on him. Um, didn't really happen that often in the New Age Outlaws, other than it was uh, like. Unforgiven 1998 or something where they're against the headbangers and Billy Gum just got about 12 minutes of heat put on him till Road Dog drilled the headbangers with, with a boombox. But yeah, they were sort of going after Gun's shoulder, which of course he just had, he's just come back from. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, as as a tag match, it's yeah, it was fairly good. So you know, the the crowd are definitely into this. They, you know, and, it, and you can't have anything too big now because the next thing they were going to put up was was the Austin match. So you know, you've got to keep the crowd a, a good balance, which which this did. I, you know, can't just go straight from the cage match to the no holes barred match. This this was just perfect placement in my book, just to put two teams who are both fairly over. I, I've said in the past, I don't care for China. She has improved in the last sort of 18 months, but she's still not that great. Um, the fact that she's constantly, she's claims she can go with the guys. Yet she can only go with the guys. if She's allowed to hit them in the nuts kind of defeats that argument itself. Um, and her transitions are, better than they were. I'll, I'll give her that much, but her strikes still look appalling. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they are getting behind the RTC here, which is an interesting choice. Um, I did, Separately, they're all, they're all fairly talented, but uh, hopefully this gimmick's going to have like a big blow-off at some point in about six months' time, because Otherwise, it they're just this is just gonna be all for nothing. Um, but you know, the, as a match, it was fine. As its placement, its placement this card was solid. So yeah, I've got nothing against this match. Yeah, I, I I thought the match was fine. I just thought it was a TV match. Um, and I yeah, we have to do give them the fact that uh, it had to be changed due to an injury to Eddie. So it was kind of like thrown together and that's probably why it felt like a tv match because it basically was um but yeah like not offensively bad at all just just a fine short um tag match they kept it simple um told a straightforward story and the uh the finish um again plays into the storyline so uh average at best but like like that that's that's fine for this spot and considering the circumstances moving moving on and we have the return match of stone cold steve austin as he faces the man responsible for putting him out of action for so long rikishi in a hold no holds barred contest uh, rikishi's out first and he has a sledgehammer We'd been told that Austin hadn't shown up yet, and out comes Foley, who'd promised that if Austin didn't show, Rikishi would win the match by forfeit, and then the glass shatters and Austin is here. He arrives, driving into the arena with his custom truck that Rikishi had smashed up as part of the feud a few weeks ago. Austin beats up Rikishi around ringside. They fight briefly into the crowd, where Rikishi makes a brief comeback with some strikes before being beaten down again. Rikishi tries to use the chair, but Austin gets it, hits him a couple of times in the head, and Austin then grabs a, a, a beer. Uh, oh, it, sorry, no. <laughs> Austin brings Rikishi to the back of the truck, hits him with the uh, back bit, and then loads him into the back of the truck. He grabs a beer and drives out of the arena with Rikishi in the back of the truck, throws Rikishi out, props him up against some... Glad at this point. Austin then reverses the truck, 
backs it up and prepares to crush Rikishi against the rocks with the truck. As he drives forward, a police car drives in the way and causes a crash. A bunch of other police cars show up. Austin's taken out of the truck and arrested and taken away. And the match is just kind of over. So we have a no contest, really, in this no-holds-barred match. Adam, what do you make of the return of Stone Cold Steve Austin to WWF pay-per-view? Um, do you remember at the end of 1997 when Austin was having uh, matches with Owen Hart and Rock? Although he wasn't, they weren't really matches. They were just him throwing a few punches. Maybe do a do like a couple of bumps. Usually the other guy, and then he'd get the stunner for the finish. This kind of felt like that. Um, only. The way it was done, it basically killed any aura of Rikishi ever being a main event threat again. Although, as we've already said on this podcast, that's that's not a bad thing because it it wasn't somewhere that many that any of us really saw him ending up anyway. Uh, I, in fairness, I'm I'm guessing that he's not properly cleared to go, to go back yet, judging by the fact. That that they went back to the formula from 1997 to just to get him on the card, and you know he's a, he's one of the one of the biggest rating drawers they've they've ever had. So of course they're gonna you know they're gonna get him on the card as soon as possible. And this is obviously all he can do right now. Hopefully within the next couple of months he will be back to to wrestling normal matches. But then again, this didn't need to be a normal match. Um, it says something about Austin that his music hit before he actually made it to the arena, and everyone's just okay with that. There are people who you would who would do that, and you would just laugh. But Austin, it's just a case of nah, it's fine. That's just what happens, and he he is that special sort of talent. You just make there are just certain allowances everyone's prepared to make for him. Um, I said he. I said about him doing the match style that he was doing when he was injured. He, he did, in fairness, try take kind of a backdrop on on the concrete, which is which is fairly impressive. Um, but yeah, it, the the trying to run the guy down in in the car park uh, when he was up against like a brick wall. That's that certainly added a certain level of realism. I think. I don't think anyone else in the WWF would have gotten away with that other than Stone Cold Steve Austin. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's, it's great to see him back. Uh, um, hopefully, he'll be back to what he was sort of, you know, just uh, what it was like 18 months ago soon because I, if they're going to do many more matches like this, they're just going to kill, kill whoever he's in the ring with because like I said, no one's taking, no one can take Rikishi seriously as a main event threat anymore. He did more in the cage with him on Raw a couple of weeks later, but yeah, they, they, he needs to, yeah, get back to health as soon as possible, just so you know the other guy in the ring can actually, can actually do something with him without you know risk of, risk of permanent injury. D, what did you make of the first match back for Stone Cold Steve Austin? If I didn't buy Rikishi as a 
threat as a heel when the turn happened. I definitely didn't buy him now. He got like no heat. I mean, he did a little thing in the crowd and, you know, poured beer on Austin. Good job, buddy. That, that'll put you over. But, um, I, I, it, it was what it needed to be. It was stone cold getting revenge for what happened to him. Uh, Attempted murder, if you ask me, but um, it does seem like uh, Austin is not. Maybe he's just playing it, playing it, uh, playing it safe, and obviously that's a, a normal thing for a, a grown man to do after having neck surgery and you know being a professional wrestler. And you know, hopefully he'll get more comfortable in the ring. He came out with no gear, obviously, and you know, and, and that's to sell the the whole story that it is a brawl. This is not a wrestling match. Um, him trying to literally kill Rikishi was kind of, it was a little over the top for me, but it is, uh, the story that we need to follow and respect the fact that he is getting revenge. Um, it's what it needed to be that, that, I don't know if that makes it a good thing or a bad thing, but, uh, again, Rikishi playing a part in this didn't, didn't make it, didn't make it, uh, an exciting one for me. And I feel bad for Austin being such a big star. I feel like it just should have been somebody different. And I know we're going to go back to that a lot, but it just should have been somebody different. And, and even a a question that I, you know, ask myself is that if it was somebody different, maybe somebody that posed more of a threat, would you still allow them to be squashed in this big revenge, you know, plot that, Austin is trying to take maybe maybe he still gets one over on Austin and it stretches it out but uh, the, the less Rikishi as a heel the better for me yeah I, I I didn't find this particularly entertaining as Austin's comeback match it, I, I, I thought it was a bit of a letdown really um, it does make sense from a character point of view like I said earlier Austin's not just going to want to go in there and have a straight up singles wrestling match against the guy who tried to end his career um but like yeah just a just an absolute demolition of rikishi a character that desperately needed help if he was ever going to make this main event hill run shtick work and it um yeah it's gone there's no salvaging it i don't know that there was anything there to be salvaged really like the Rikishi character before the turn is is a character that's a valuable asset in the mid card of your roster, and I'm not sure that heel Rikishi has quite that same value. Um, yeah, I thought it was a bit weird that I, I, I'm a bit torn. I thought it was a bit weird that we just didn't beat Rikishi ultimately. I mean, I know I know for all intents and purposes we did. It was like a bloody heap on the floor, propped up against a wall where he was about to be murdered, but. Like, I don't know, Austin being arrested and Rikishi kind of getting away with it on this show. I don't, I just, it just felt weird that Austin, in Austin's return, the the history books will say that he did not win this match. I just thought that was a bit funny. Um, it was kind of like an angle you would see on Raw, I thought. Um, like you saw him then brawl around a bit you could see that umbrawl wasn't really a match um and the the angle with austin being arrested i mean we've we've had that on raw in the past like i i i think 
I don't, I'm not a fan of Austin and Rikishi at all. And the quicker we find out who Rikishi's potentially in cahoots with, and uh, Austin can maybe move on to bigger fish and away from one-sided muggings of Rikishi, I think they'll be best for both men. Um, this wasn't bad. It's just absolutely not what I would have done. Do you guys feel like maybe this story should have been the main event and possibly a cliffhanger for, you know, the next night's Raw? Maybe. Um, I don't know. I think I, I like the main event, though. I love, like, I like ending on Kurt winning the title. I thought that was a good story. And obviously Rikishi played into that as well. So it did make sense um, from that perspective. It just feels like a weird way to bring Austin back. So next up, we have a European title match. William Regal defending against Naked Midian. Regal comes out, says that he's demanded that Naked Midian be made to wear proper ring attire for the match. So Midian comes out. He's got a t-shirt and some tracksuit bottoms on. Midian starts off strong, but it's soon beaten down. Regal throws him Midian to the outside, where Midian takes off his top, turns to the ring. Regal beats on Midian again. So Midian removes his trousers, leaving him just wearing a bum bag and a thong. Um... Midian kisses Regal, runs wild for a little bit before heading up top, being crotched. Regal went to do the Regal stretch, but he didn't want to get on top of Midian. So he refrained and instead hit the Regal cutter for the win after six minutes. D, what do you make of the European title match? I didn't want to make anything out of that shit. <laughs> uh, does anybody know why, why Naked Midian? Like, what's... Did he piss somebody off? Or I don't understand what... Oh, I mean, at the same time, there's not a lot to understand. But Regal deserved better. Uh, I think that's it. Regal deserved better. I don't know. I was watching this match, and my girlfriend walks in. And she just looks. It's right after Naked Midian got naked. And she's like, what are you watching? And I was like... Um, wrestling for the podcast. She's like, okay, but so confused as she walked away. And I, as she was walking away, I'm like, it's not always good. Like, it's not, it's not always good. And this is a perfect example of uh, not always being good. I, I, the less said about the match, the better for me. Um, Regal is a great, great, great wrestler. He just deserved better. I know he's really good at the comedy stuff, and he can sell. He has great facial expressions to make you laugh at him and everything, but I I I wanted this match out of here. Adam. Um I, I get why you know you don't care for the match, but you know, you just had the big angle with Austin and Rikishi. You needed something to bring the crowd down, so this was certainly that. Um uh, I don't know if anyone saw the Sunday night heat just before this. For some reason Midian was claiming that he'd won uh, he'd won the European title twice. Uh, I don't remember that. I've tried looking it up. I can only find the one time he pulled it out of a bag, so I don't know where he got that number from, but yeah, this match was match was fine. Uh might be the best Midian's looked in a singles match up until, you know, the point all the clothes came off because 
because he didn't know with Regal. Uh, he had the the weird kind of flesh coloured thong on. I'm not sure whether whether that made the gimmick better or worse. But I th- I think this is this has got to be pretty much it for the Midian gimmick, the naked gimmick, because. You know, he's not going to be challenging for anything higher than the European title. And he got beat here in, what, like six or seven minutes. It's, you know, I think I think it's had its time. Dennis Knight is obviously a guy who's prepared to do whatever's asked of him, which is great. But let's just ask him to do something different if they want him on the show. Because, yeah, this, this gimmick, it's a one-note joke. And, yeah. We've just played that one note. Yeah, I, I I get the point about maybe needing to bring the crowd down, but I think by the end of the Austin stuff, they weren't particularly hot anyway because the last like three or four minutes of the match ended outside of the arena, and it was all a bit flat when Austin was just arrested and it was just over, and they cut back to the ring. And I think any time you put Stan Cole, Steve Austin out in front of a live crowd and they don't get to see a stunner, that's probably a misstep. Um, I don't think the crowd particularly needed to come down. And even if they did, up next we have a a very comedy-heavy tag title match coming up. So I would have just scrapped this from the card entirely. That being said, Regal's pretty good. Well, I'd I'd say that, yeah, the next one, next thing's up a comedy thing, but it's also a big thing they've been pushing on TV. So going straight from a serious angle to a comedy angle that, you know, is, is for one of your major belts is... It's not, it's not a great idea, which is why, I, because let's be honest, the European title hasn't been treated seriously as a, as a major belt since Bulldog lost it the first time. So yeah, this, in that situation, it's some, it was something, you know, a bit of levity, something actually happening in the arena and something that, you know, didn't diminish the seriousness of what, what happened beforehand. Or had this, or what the seriousness of what just happened beforehand would would do any damage to? So moving on, and we have the Hardy Boys defending their WWF tag team titles against Los Conquistadores. Uh, the story here: Edge and Christian were officially ran out of chances um, to take back their tag titles. They were told by on a mandate from Commissioner Foley that they could not face the Hardys again for the titles um, so the Conquistadores made their triumphant return uh, just after this and made uh, themselves number one contenders after winning a battle royal so just for uh, brevity's sake I'm going to refer to Conquistadores as E and C here and uh, it should be apparent why um, they do not fare too well in the early going here as the Hardys eventually hit poetry in motion, dropped I'll hold E into C's crotch. The ref gets distracted, allowing Conquistadores to use shenanigans to take over. Jeff is the face in peril. C misses a senton eventually and allows Matt to get the hot tag. Hardy's clean house. Jeff runs the rails and wipes out E. C hits a, sim- a familiar springboard crossbody. Matt comes off the top, wipes out his own brother. Back inside the ring, uh, C hits a reverse DDT on Matt, but Jeff breaks up the count with a swanton. Matt hits the twist of fate on on E, takes off his mask, and it reveals another mask. Uh, 
C then uses the distraction. They hit the unprettier for the win. And Los Conquistadores are the new WWF Tag Team Champions after 10 minutes of action. Adam, what did you make of this? Uh, I think in all the weeks that they've been on TV, the only time it's been acknowledged that there was Conquistadores previously in the in the Fed was, was JR mentioning how he's pretty sure that the two in the ring aren't aren't the two I can't he did actually mention them by names but I didn't write the names down. Um bit of a different match from these two, isn't it? You know, considering this time last year they had that big ladder match. But it's it was something different though. Uh I do I did like the gimmick. Um mask gimmicks a lot of people a lot of times just don't work because it seems to be that the only people who aren't in on the joke are the people who should are the people who are running the promotion but Foley later revealed he, he was in on it which which is good because it would have just been ridiculous now in modern times the authority figure to be like I didn't see that one coming Um, I feel the match did drag a bit. These two have had better, just regular matches, I think. Um, or at least the heat segments dragged. The rest of the time, the rest of the stuff, you know, was was these guys doing what they do best. Um, and not really anyone better at it. Uh, I... Yeah, I did. I did. It was. I did enjoy uh, the result. You know, I know we're going to go more into it later with um, with what happened in Raw, but yeah, I mean, I was. It was. It was good to see the way. I like the way it played out. It's just um, really done with being like two or three minutes shorter in my book. Dee, what did you make of the tag title match? Um, I, I, I think this is a um, this is evidence that the company doesn't trust any other teams in this air in this spot in the tag team main event level because, as we saw, like I said, a showcase of all these teams in the beginning. Maybe some of them are not ready, maybe, but most of them are. Like to be put in the tag team title feud and the story and everything um i'm not going to say i had enough of hardy's and edging christian but i I, you know stretch it out i I understand that they want to stretch it out but i feel like there are other teams that have you know the the image and that they're ready for that tag team title hunt um it, it was it was funny it was it definitely was funny because edging christian are masters of comedy um, it was a little long for me. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see now what these uh, what these tag titles look like with the conquistadors. I guess we're not going to see Edge and Christian for a while because they had their food poisoning or something like that. It, um, it's going to be interesting to see. But for me, I was just like, man, I wish another team could be in this spot instead of this silly little storyline. 
Yeah, I, I have to say I was a lot more positive on this. I really liked the storyline. It was silly. I completely agree with you that it was silly. But, like, I don't know. Um, just very different from the type of matches we've seen these two guys have before because it relied so heavily on, like, the gimmick comedy. Um, I enjoyed, like, the angle and the story behind the match and, like, the two masks thing that gets a thumbs up with me. Uh, where the story goes from here I really like as well. We'll talk about that after the pay-per-view. And yeah, I, I, I think this was like a sort of breath of fresh air on the show. Something that I like fully enjoyed. Um, I, like, I love watching these two teams go um, and, and, and in there with each other. And especially like we've seen like TLC at SummerSlam. We saw the ladder match at WrestleMania. We know how much chemistry those teams have and how special um, their matches can be. And this is just something completely different. So I guess it felt fresh um, to me. But yeah, I, I, for me, this is one of the bigger pluses on the pay per view. Until we get to the next two, to give it to give it credit, it, to give it credit, it definitely was a pick me up from the previous two matches. That's for sure. Yeah. So next up, we have Triple H versus Chris Benoit, a rivalry brought out of Benoit attacking Stephanie a few weeks ago. So we have Triple H playing the face here, which is reflected by some big Triple H chants at the early stages. Triple H quickly takes advantage, targeting Benoit's knee. A variety of different attacks and a few submissions thrown in. Benoit manages to come back. He throws Triple H to the outside and drives him into the steel steps. Back in the ring, he hits an arm breaker, which causes Triple H a lot of pain. Benoit uh, singles Triple H's arm and really focuses in and goes after it. He hits a number of suplexes, which force Triple H's arm behind his back so that he lands onto it before hitting a diving headbutt into the arm and the shoulder of Triple H. Benoit goes for the cover, but Triple H cradles Benoit for two. Triple H hits an inverted suplex. He hits a running knee, neck breaker, and a superplex, which gets another two count. Benoit hits two German suplexes. Triple H fights out of the third, but Benoit hits a dragon suplex. Triple H uses the ropes to break the count. Benoit brings him back into the centre, hits another dragon suplex, and Triple H kicks out again. Triple H hits to knee smash, but Benoit counters a charge with a crippler crossface. Hunter manages to get to a knee and starts standing up, so Benoit breaks the hold to beat down Hunter and reapplies it. Triple H is able to get his knees again, then stands and hits a Dev Valley driver. Stephanie then makes her way down to ringside. She slaps Benoit. Hunter then tries to pedigree, but Benoit fights out of it. He attempts a crossface again, but Hunter fights it off. They go back and forth. Eventually, Triple H resorts to a low blow with Stephanie distracting the referee. And Triple H hits the pedigree on Benoit in the middle of the ring, which is enough for the free. Triple H picks up the win. D, what did you make of Hunter versus Benoit? I, I love the match. It was a great match. Uh, I wasn't surprised at the quality of the action that they put between the ropes. Um, I, I, I like Benoit and I like his intensity this is one of those matches that I I wished he would have uh, I wish he would have won maybe um, to kind of you know to go on through the night you know Angle wins the title I, I kind of wish he would have won not only for him as you know his place in the company but also to kind of make Triple H seem like man like Angle's kind of showing me up and, you know, to kind of further that feud that I feel like they're going into. Um, I have no, no bad things to say about this match, except maybe I would have wanted Ben Wado. Adam, over to you. 
Um, I, I do like both these guys. Um, in the ring, I like Ben more, well, more than more than Triple H. But yeah, I. Um, it was interesting to see, you know, especially at the start of sort of Triple H was playing a more technical game with Benoit being more of the brawler, but you know, it was done in a way that didn't seem sort of contrived anyway. It just seemed that, yeah, that's the way that these two would go at each other in this situation. Uh, For the match, they did like a thing backstage where Stephanie gave Hunter a tape of when he was in the crossface um, I believe got some raw, and he was smiling at something. Did we ever figure out what that was? Because I, I'm that one must have passed me by if it, think, if it was mentioned. I think it was the idea that Hunter was meant to have realised that he could like power out of it if he got to his knees. Then okay. he was, he was he, okay. That, so that that would explain uh, the spot they did near the end where sort of he was he did he managed to fight out of it once and then. And while got him again, and yeah, okay, no, that 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 makes more sense now. Um, I something I wrote in my notes is, uh, when it when you when you become a wrestler, you bump differently as a heel than you do as a face. Um, as a face, you do it in a fairly just flat in a way that just you're supposed to just draw sympathy from the crowd whereas the heat when you do it as a heel you do it a lot bigger so the crowd's like yes he got hurt a lot uh, there's just something about the way that benoit does the heel bump that he it doesn't it's you if anyone else did it the way that benoit did it would seem so ridiculously over the top but the way benoit does it, it's so subtle it's so smooth that it just seems like yeah no that that works Maybe it helps that you know he's in there with a guy six inches taller and forty pounds heavier than him, which you know makes the big bumps seem all that more understandable. Um, yeah, I didn't mention this in the Austin thing in the Austin match, but um, when Triple H is walking working over Benoit's leg. Uh, JR says, oh, yeah, you could snap the femur. And like, yeah, did that ever happened to you, King? And King was like, yep. Do we all, does anyone know how that happened to the to Jerry King? Just just throwing it out there. Because this has been hinted at a couple of times on TV this month. Basically, in 1980, uh, on Memphis TV, they did a skit where Jerry Waller was run, run over in the parking lot and actually ended up missing a year of uh, a year of action in Memphis. I'm just, it's, just, it's just a weird parallel given that that's the story that they went with for writing Austin off for the better part of the last year. Um, but yeah, no, this match was was great. Um, I really do like these two in the ring. It's, I mean, it would have been nice to see Benoit go over, especially as back in January, they didn't let that happen. Would have been nice, you know, just, just let it happen here, especially as, you know, it was a bigger stage than, than just a SmackDown taping. Um, coming back to what I was saying earlier about people aren't going to have tape of that Smackdown taping in five years where people are probably going to have like the tape of the DVD of Unforgiven in, in like five years or something. But yeah, other than this, this much, this much was great. Um, and I, I I could quite happily, you know, watch these guys have, have a series of these. 
Yeah, I, I thought this was a fantastic match. Great psychology. Each man working over different body parts. I did. I liked the idea that even though, I mean, the the revelation Hunter seems to get from the tape that he could just, if he got to his knees, he could power out of the crossface. Is is probably quite a straightforward one. I I just like the idea that they they bothered to shoot that little backstage skit with the tape just to add an extra dimension to the match, rather than just having him power out of it anyway, which was is hardly like a completely novel way to get out of that submission. But I just like that they went that little extra yard or two just to give it an extra dimension. Um, yeah, uh, slightly screwy finish, but I think it worked because like Benoit has mainly been gunning for Stephanie like on different occasions and using Stephanie to get to Hunter. So the fact that Stephanie basically was able to distract the ref for the win, it just fits the storyline as much as I would like Benoit to get a big victory because he's come close. He's had some great pay-per-view matches this year. <laughs> Two false finishes on pay-per-view where it looks like he's going to be champion. I think it will happen for him. It's just a case of timing. Um, but I, I think in the meantime, he will eventually need a big wing to keep the momentum there for him because he's he is fantastic. We all know how good a worker Chris Benoit is. But um, I just hope within that main event scene um, he, at some point, we're going to need to pull the trigger and give him a big win um, over one of the three or four top guys in the main event or or co-main, shall we say, of a pay-per-view. But yeah, this was this was great. One of the uh, definitely one of the top two matches on the show, um, and a really really good pay-per-view match. So it's time for our main event with The Rock defending his WWF Championship against Kurt Angle. He's accompanied by Stephanie McMahon Helmsley for this no disqualification match. So Stephanie distracts Rock to allow Angle to beat down uh, get, beat down the Rock in the early going. He knocks the Rock outside, hits him in the back with a steel chair. Rock comes back with a running clothesline and a Samoan drop. Angle takes a walk up the entrance ray. Rock goes after him, throws him around the staging area. Angle uh, reverses a whip and throws Rock into some lighting, and then they brawl back to ringside. Rock crotches Angle in the ring post, hits his leg with a steel chair a couple of times. Rock then dragon screws Angle and puts him in the sharpshooter. Stephanie distracts Hebner and Angle taps. Rock chases Stephanie, but Angle cuts him off. Uh, with an overhead belly-to-belly. Angle then hits a flying forearm and puts the Rock in a sleeper hold. Rock comes back. He throws Angle to the outside. They brawl round ringside. Rock throws Angle's head into the announce table multiple times. Stephanie puts the WWF title into the ring and distracts Hebner, despite it being an ODQ match. Angle grabs the belt, tries to hit the Rock with it, but the Rock counters into a Rock bottom. But Angle delivers an elbow and then hits Rock with the belt for a near fall. Rock then hits a superplex. Angle's now got a cut above his eye and Rock gets a near fall. Angle hits a nice German suplex. Goes up top for a moonsault but misses. Rock hits a float over DDT for two. He hits a belly-to-belly suplex. Followed by the spine buster and looks to hit the people's elbow. But Stephanie runs in and Rock hits her with the rock bottom. The crowd absolutely love that. Rock goes for the people's elbow on Stephanie but Kurt almost missing his cue. 
runs in and clotheslines The Rock. Triple H runs down. He beats Angle down and throws him out of the ring. The Rock tries to attack Hunter, but gets hit with a pedigree, and Triple H carries Stephanie out. Angle crawls into the cover for a near fall. Rock comes back with a DDT, but Angle kicks out. He beats Angle up around ringside again. At this point, Rikishi comes down the entranceway, wearing a big bandage covering up all the blood from his match with Austin earlier. Rikishi hits Angle and throws him back in the ring. The Rock lays, uh, beats down Austin in the corner. Angle hits a low blow, but Rock turns around and hits a rock bottom. The Rock covers Angle, but he kicks out at two. Rikishi gets in the ring. He tries to charge at Angle in the corner, but Angle drags Rock in front of him. Rikishi is mad at himself. He goes for a thrust kick on Angle, but Angle ducks and Rikishi hits the Rock. Angle then hits the Olympic Slam on Rikishi uh, after dodging another kick, and then he follows it with an Olympic Slam on the Rock, and he wins the match. Kurt Angle is the new WWF champion. Adam, what do you make of this match and Angle winning his first world title? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm a big fan of Angle. Um, I'm, he's. I mean, he's still got some way to go, but he's just the fact he's come so far in a year, and the fact he's. I mean, his first match in front of people, I think, was probably that dark match um, we in in July last year, and the fact that he's gone from there to winning the title in like less than eighteen months is really impressive. Um, so yeah, if you first thing I actually notice about first note I've got here in uh, in front of me is out of all the title matches this evening, it's actually the only match that um, the challenger has come down first, which is uh, I which did kind of irk me, especially about the tag title match. You're supposed the champ. The whole point of being a champion is you're supposed to be important and re- and. To just to show how important you are, you're supposed to come out second. Um, but yeah, that, so that kind of bugged me about the European and the tag title match. But it only really came apparent here when they did it the right way around. Uh, something about The Rock is when he when he wants to make a guy look good, he he can make anyone look good. You you watch the first sort of few minutes of this match. And he has got Angle looking really, really dominant. Yeah, okay, so it, it started from a distraction from Stephanie, but look at them brawling around the ring. He is selling Angle's punches really well. And Ang- you look at the way Angle hits his strikes. Angle really properly lays them in. So if he ever does a one-two with someone where they're exchanging punches, I can't buy into it just because of how much Angle puts into those strikes. And the rock, but the way the rock was selling them, I was like, well, yeah, if if someone who looked like that was hitting me with that much shirt effort, I, I probably wouldn't be standing and, and trading punches with them either. Um, the crowd was really into this match. I, halfway through, Angle got a chin lock on the rock, and it says a lot for how much the crowd was into this match. Chin lock didn't actually get, didn't actually take the crowd out of it, got the crowd into it even more, um, especially when, you know, the rock Sam didn't drop it for the third time. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a screwy finish, so that may sort of taint it a bit. But 
it's something I've noticed uh, sometimes with the Fed if they're putting it on putting it, putting the belt on a guy that's not necessarily you know their their guy. They'll sometimes they'll sometimes do it in a screwy way, which um, I mentioned earlier about the Rock a couple of years ago that they, they did screwy finishes with him, which kind of at least you know damage. I felt damaged him a bit. It didn't put him over as strongly as it could have, but. Still, I think I'm, I'm really happy that, you know, they're going with Angle, you know. It, you know it, it's it's pretty, it's just a good thing that it's like, you know, everyone's like, oh, yeah, the WWF is like the, the fake shit. Okay, so, well, no, they've got real guy as their champion. So, so it adds legitimacy to the belt. Uh, it's, yeah, the Triple H interference, it shows that while he is a, still a face, he's you know him and the Rock aren't ever going to be good friends, which I which I think it's it need, it's one of those rivalries that's just going to keep going. You know we're probably still going to be here in three four years, and those two are still going to be in, in some way involved in a rivalry. Uh, the Rikishi interference at the end. Um, I'm really hoping that the cage match on Raw um, is going to be the end of this story because. You know, it's it's pretty much reached its natural conclusion here, and the cage match just it's hopefully just gonna gonna be the end of it, and we're not gonna have Rikishi in any more main events because it's just he just isn't. It's no one is gonna buy it. No one's buying it. I don't. I don't think. But yeah, um. But like I said, I'm really happy that Angle won this. Uh, Rock did brilliant to to make him look as good as he did. Um, and yeah, all the you know, it's one of those things. It could have been all all the overbooking could have really sort of watered this down, but because it was done so well, it just it just made it it just made the match work. what did you make of our main event and at Kurt Angle as WWF champion I'm glad that Angle is WWF champion and I'm um, I'm looking forward to see what kind of reign he has as dominant as excellent as he, he's been in the ring and the guy you know he's probably his biggest critic but he's so amazing in the ring and this this year that you know it has fluctuated and I never noticed that until you brought it up it has fluctuated but his highs, I think, overshadow the lows that they put him in. And I'm excited to see him as champion. I just, I was kind of confused because I know storyline-wise it all made sense. But Triple H came out to, you know, interfere on The Rock's behalf. So it was like he was faced for a second. And then the uh, Rikishi came out. Um, well, excuse me, I, I said that wrong. Triple H came out to interfere on The Rock's behalf. And mess with the angle, and then Rikishi did the same. And then, so it's like Rikishi also a face, but they're trying to sell him as a heel. Is he? Does he believe he's doing? He does believe he's doing the right thing, but are we supposed to cheer him now because like he's sticking up for the Rock? I just wish all those, you know, the overbooking was put away. I wish Angle could have gotten a dominant win, but you know, like Adam said, you know, he was dominant within the match. 
And there's there's no question that he would have been able to win without the interference. Um, but it did taint the win just a little bit. I, I hate to complain, but uh, I I love the match. It was it was your regular main event match, you know, no DQ, brawl, interference, but a surprising win, but a a, a satisfying one at that. Yeah, I thought this was a really good match, and it was great to see Angle win. I I, I didn't think he would, um, I just because his year has been so stop start. I I thought this was going to be like a another sort of like uh, Rock Benoit match where uh, it might look like Angle's going to win, but then the Rock comes away with a belt. Um, yeah, I I I was a little confused when Hunter came out and then immediately attacked. Kurt, just because I know they've got obviously history as rivals, but um, The Rock had just laid out Stephanie and Angle had made the save. Um, but then obviously Hunter attacked The Rock as well. And I think, like, by the end of that, it was more about just getting Stephanie out of there for the finish um, than maybe him interfering on anyone's behalf. The Rikishi stuff, I thought, was probably the flattest bit of the match, just because it's it is very convoluted when you've got this like, well, at least intended diabolical heel in Rikishi out there trying to win the match for the Rock, but he accidentally costs the Rock the match and gives it to Kurt Angle, who is a heel, which is a bit convoluted. So it's probably the flattest part of the whole thing was the finish, which is a shame, but. The match and the action leading up to it was so good. Um, I think they kind of got away with one. I preferred um, Hunter and um, Hunter and uh, Benoit um, of the two. But um, yeah, great match. Amazing to see Kurt Angle winning the WWF Championship so early on in his WWF career. If anyone had said 11 months ago that he would be the WWF Champion by the end of the year 2000... I'm not sure I'd have believed you, especially as we've mentioned, like throughout the year, he's had some uh, roadblocks. He's not been plain sailing, uh, like the matches with um, Taz, uh, Shoster, and The Undertaker on pay per view throughout the throughout the the first six months of the year. So yeah, great stuff, and a credit to him as a performer um, on the mic, in skits backstage, and in the ring. Um, He's had an incredible debut year and one of the uh, biggest sort of surprise packages, really, of the year 2000 and an absolute credit to the WWF um, throughout. So, yeah, great to see him uh, win the uh, title and and crying on the entranceway, holding the belt, sort of playing off him winning his Olympic gold medal. Um, Yeah, some nice symmetry to it. So even though he's a heel, I was kind of rooting for Kurt. And I think uh, despite the sort of convoluted involvement of Rikishi, I think they uh, pulled off what they were intending. So that will conclude our review of the No Mercy pay-per-view. So, uh, Adam, I'll come to you first for your overall thoughts on the show and a score rating out of 10. Um, Like I said, it's it's one of the better shows they've done this year, I think. They've... Yeah, there was a lot of stuff on there that didn't particularly stand out, but you sort of look at its placement, you know. Uh, you didn't just go cage match, no holds barred match, tag titles. 
main events, you know, you ha- you had sort of an ebb and flow because especially the high intensity matches that were there, they they would have been. I think the crowd would have been burnt out had they just done stuff all the had done. They could have just done a, essentially a, a triple main event thing all three at the end with the cage match before that, and it we would have just killed the crowd dead for that Kurt Angle celebration. So I think. As a show, while the matches not don't all necessarily hold up, the show itself really strong, just the way it's put together. Um, yeah, I, I'm really happy to see sort of Kurt win his first title. It's hopefully it's gonna, hopefully they're gonna keep him on it, keep him, uh, keep it on him rather for a good few months because I think I think they've really got something with him. Uh, so yeah, I, you know, as a show, um, yeah, I'd probably go like, yeah, good, good sort of seven and a half. Yeah. Dee, what do you think of this show and a score rating out of 10? Yeah. Like I said, at the top of the hour, I did enjoy the show, although it did drag. Um, I'm not going to let the booking decisions take away from the performances because they did put in their work. Um, just like, I mean, the booking decisions does play a part of it, but the the performances were all great. I love the opening match. It was a good match. Triple H Benoit, Angle winning the title. Excuse me. Um, I enjoyed the show, and I enjoyed um, certain wrestlers working against each other. I was a real big fan of Angle you know, surprising all of us, really. I don't think any of us were expecting him to win because The Rock is so, you know, he's such a big star, he's so dominant. And um, I'm going to go with a seven for the show. Just because of the, the you know, the booking decisions and, and, you know, the I feel like the pacing was weird when they put Stone Cold in the middle and maybe that was to sell the fact that he just couldn't wait to get his hands on Rikishi and, but uh, doesn't like I said, doesn't take away from the fact that Austin is back. Um, should be looking good from here on out. Hopefully, when they reveal the mastermind behind uh, the attack, um, Benoit and Triple H never, never disappointing anybody in the ring. Angle and and Rock being a solid main event, despite some of the interference or some of the booking. But I, I'm gonna go with a seven with the show. Yeah, I don't think I was as high on this show as maybe either of you. I, I, I'm not sure it's one of the if I, one of the better shows they've done this year. I think if I was putting together a a top three, I don't I don't think this would find its way in there. I'd probably prefer the Rumble Backlash, and I'm not sure. Maybe it would have a half shout a third, um, maybe with fully loaded or something like that, but. Yeah, I, I think um, obviously the top two matches saved this from maybe getting a very low score in my eyes because I thought, um, like, I'm not going to grade a pay-per-view highly for having, like, a an all-right opener. It had a, an all-right cage match, um, then a, a tag match that was kind of thrown together, and I think they really got everything about Austin's return wrong. Uh, and then the less said about Regal and Naked Midian, the better. Tag tag match was good, but in a comedy way. It's hard for me to really like 
root for that as, as a big thumbs up for the show, although I did enjoy it. And then obviously the top two, Benoit, Hunter, Kurt and Rock. Um, those four guys in those two's matches save this show. I think I'm going to come down at about six out of ten um, overall because uh, by the end I'd go out of your way to watch the uh, two main event matches and actually <clears throat> for like a two and a half hour show um, you could maybe skip Regal and Midian but apart from that um, there's nothing offensively bad on here. We don't have like any uh, nonsense like evening gown matches or anything like that um, which is always a plus when, with a WWF pay-per-view um, and I, I suppose there's some intrigue to what Austin did if you want to check that out as well so I think overall 6 out of 10 for me so one final thing I'd like to talk about briefly before we wrap up the show for the month took place on the 23rd of October, the night after No Mercy and concerns those WWF tag team titles. So Los Conquistadores were meant to be defend the titles against Edge and Christian, but Christian was taken out backstage earlier in the show. So Edge is out there alone. Obviously the fix is in here. So Edge is fine with it. He's supremely confident. He promises on the mic to take out the Conquistadores single-handedly and bring home the gold. However, the men in gold come out and they're suddenly the exact same height, unlike earlier. So Edge is clearly puzzled and uh, a little bit confused for the, for this by this. The finish of that match sees the first conquistador lay Edge out with a twist of fate. Second climbs to the top and connects with a swanton bomb. So we can see where this is going. You get the free count on Edge and the champions retain. The conquistadores unmask and they reveal themselves as the Hardy Boys. Edge is furious and the Foley, that before Mick Foley comes out on stage. He has footage proving that Edge and Christian were under the masks previously, putting themselves in a number one contender shot against the Hardys. So they did, in fact, violate the, the mandate that they could not face uh, the Hardy boys for any more title shots. Foley says that because of the creativity of their ruse, their victory stands. But that means that so does this one tonight. So just like that, the Hardy Boys are the three-time WWF Tag Team Champions. They're the current champions, and we bid farewell to the Los Conquistadores storyline. D, um, I mean, we've spoken about it at length, but just kind of like the final note in that storyline bringing the conquistadores back for sort of a comedy element to these teams how did you like how it all played out on raw i just hope this doesn't hinder conquistadores uh chance to get into the wwf hall of fame with uh all their aerial uh abilities <laughs> and all that um it was it was a smart way to get it back in the middle of foley's speech i was just like what, okay, so my my biggest question throughout this entire thing, I'm like, how did the Hardys get their hands on the belts themselves? If the Conquistadores were edging Christian and they won the belts, and it was it was it was a strange thing for me. But you know, um, I maybe complain too much as I always do, but um, it was a smart way to get the belts off of edging Christian. It was a it was a comedic way, and uh, it popped the crowd. Uh, the crowd, the crowd really enjoyed it. And Edge and Christian, like I said, their matches at comedy. So they, this one was a, this one was a good one for me. I, I enjoyed it. I couldn't, I couldn't uh, say too many bad things about it. Um, Foley with Edge and Christian are always good, and 
parties are, you know, always fan favorites. So it went over well with me. Adam, what do you make about the sort of ending of this storyline? I think the idea that uh, the Conquistadors had the belts was because obviously two jobbers who are under the mask were going to come out and come out wearing the the belt. So I think that's where it came. I I enjoyed it. Uh, like I said in, in the pay per view review, the fact that Bowley revealed that he was in on it. Uh, I think. I don't think it would have worked if, if he hadn't because, you know, it, in the past, people were less questioning. So when they did the mask gimmick, so there was like, okay, you yeah, know, there's an air of believability. Whereas now it doesn't seem that I don't think that would fly. But yeah, I, I thought it was fun. You know, um, it was a fresh way to, to team these guys against each other, considering we've seen them go at it now for a, for a year. Or so no, it's been been yeah, a part of eighteen months. We've seen these two guys go at each other. It was a fresh way to do this matchup, and it's a fresh way that didn't involve them, you know, having to kill themselves. So I'm guessing, you know, they were like, "Oh, easy month. We don't need to fall off any ladders this time round." That's that's great for these guys. Uh, yeah, I I have no issues with this. I mean, yeah, it kind of sucks that. Uh, Edge and Christian only had a one-day title reign and didn't really get the belts, but you know it's it's part of the game. Um, so yeah, no, I, I'm I'm kind of glad that you know they sort of kind of capped it here because if it had gone sort of on as a long-term thing, I think people would have started to get sick of it a lot uh, a lot quicker or, or very or very quickly or yeah, but still. I enjoyed it all, yeah. Yeah, what I think I most appreciated about this storyline is that it's really good. It allowed these two teams to continue having matches in a fresh way. Um, it's entirely different, like a different universe to something like a TLC match, but it's just as creative in its own way. Um, and maybe I'm giving it too much credit, but I I just, I felt it was fresh the whole month. I liked all the shenanigans with Foley involved as well. Edge and Christian are obviously fantastic. And the Hardys kind of like outsmarting them at the end and getting away with the belts. So I just, uh, yeah, I, I had a lot of praise for this. One of my favorite um, sort of storylines throughout WWF TV this month were little tidbits here and there with the Conquistadors. So, um, yeah, big thumbs up for me and a great way to uh, round off the story on the 23rd on that episode of Raw. So that will do it for our episode, uh, WWF October 2000 episode. And uh, thank you so much first to Adam for being on the show and your excellent contributions as always. And also a massive thank you uh, to Dee. Uh, great analysis. Thank you. Always a blast having you on the WWF shows. Much appreciated. Uh, always enjoy doing it. Always enjoy coming back and talking to you guys. Um. Dee, do you have anything to plug before we wrap up? I know, I know you'd like to uh, throw out. You're a very busy man, so uh, tell our listeners where they can find you. I appreciate that, Chris. You can find me at DNC Digital on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I conduct interviews and face, and uh, YouTube is really my central hub where you can catch everything. 
I have been working with Mission Pro Wrestling, which is the promotion that Thunder Rosa owns, um, interviewing all the ladies that are scheduled for those shows. Uh, tournament, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, uh, Mission Pro Wrestling Run It Back will be December 11th in Buda, Texas, where they will be crowning their first uh, Mission Pro Wrestling champion. A lot of talented women, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Lacey Ryan, uh, Killer Kelly, Kimberly, uh, uh, Shaw Guerrero, who is Eddie Guerrero's daughter, will be the ring announcer that night. Uh, it's going to be a great night. Again, you can follow me at DNC Digital, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for all your interviewing needs. And Adam, I know you uh, also can be found elsewhere on the internet giving your musings. Would you like to throw that out to the listeners here? Uh, yeah, okay. Occasionally, I crop up on the Mind Fart podcast doing uh, angry liberal rants about whatever. I'm currently uh, one that's due out just after this episode drops is uh, I think it's episode 194. It'll be me talking about International Men's Day, which has just passed. Uh, I do various stand up comedy gigs, most of which are online at the minute due to the current world situation. You can find out all the information at uh, facebook.com forward slash el.j.comedy. Um, every Sunday night, I'm at a place called the Panda Mike, 9 p.m. UK time, 2 p.m. Mountain time. I don't know the rest of the time zones. Uh, the Friday, the Friday that after this drops, I'm doing a thing called Hen Night. It's a it's a game show. You can catch me on there. Um, you can, if you like he- heavily politicized memes, you can follow me on Minds.com. That's ELJ Comedy, or one word. Or you can just, or if you want something between the comedy and between the political. Uh, follow me on Twitter, el underscore j. Uh, I believe that's all, all I've got to plug for the minute. Good stuff, and uh, thank you to everyone very much for listening. I have been your host, Chris White, and until next time, goodbye. <laughs>